as family, we're supposed to have fun. We are supposed to have fun. We're supposed to enjoy being together. We're supposed to celebrate one another. Being a part of family, we should have fun. We should get along. Family should also fight a little and then make up and then have fun. It's good to be together. But being a family is about more than just having fun together. In every family, there are members. And every family member is valuable and needed and has responsibilities. In my immediate family, there's myself and Kara and Acacia and Jordan and Cadence and Stella. For the next statement I'm making, we're going to leave Stella out and just kind of focus on humans. But she's definitely a part of this family. As the father and as the husband, I have a role to play. I have responsibilities. But I am more valuable than my son Jordan, who has the role of son and brother. I, as the dad, as the father, I am not more valuable than my son or my daughters or my wife and whatever roles they play. We are family and there are roles that we play and they're valuable. But none more important than the others. We all come together and it's it's like the body of Christ. We come together as the body and every part is crucial and vital and needed and we all have a part to play. Every single one of us, different, but valuable. Every single one of us, different, but needed. In this series, we are family. We're going to take a look at the first Christian church as described in Acts chapter 2. Amazing things took place in that church. Amazing things took place through that church. And in the next four weeks, we're going to discover what made such an incredible family. So we're going to be teaching on four topics. Number one, commitment. That's what I'm preaching on tonight. The second sermon will be unity. That's what Andy is preaching next week. The third is generosity. Brad will be preaching that. And then the fourth, to wrap the series up, Kara will be preaching on community. I think it's cool that even showing the diversity, you know, and having four different people bring forth the word for this series, that's pretty neat. Our key scripture for all four sermons will be Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And uh, I like the way the New Living Tra- Translation presents this, so that's what, that's what I'll be teaching from. Let's read it right now. Acts 2, 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. And to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, 
the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. God was doing amazing things in the church. There were miracles. There was a lot of hanging out together, a lot of fellowship. They were focused on God. They were singularly focused on God. And it wasn't just people that were added to them. It was believers. It was people that were being saved, transformed, and added to them. Multiplication is a godly principle. Growth is a godly principle. I'm excited to share of multiplication and the fact that Andy and Amanda are expecting a baby. Amanda is pregnant. How awesome is that? Very cool. So we will be praying for you and anxiously awaiting that little baby. We see in, in that New Testament church that amazing things were happening. Why? How? I believe that a huge part of it had to do with commitment. If we read that passage again and again and again, we see commitment. Commitment to one another. It doesn't say they sold everything they had, but they were willing to sell goods to meet the common needs. In order to get this understanding of that church, let's back up a little and let's see how this group came together. As we do, we're going to learn three choices of a committed life. Three choices of a committed life. Number one, accept the truth. Number two, make God our number one priority. And three, change our daily choices. So accept the truth. Most of this church, they, they were familiar, most certainly familiar with the Old Testament. They were familiar with the prophecies of a Messiah. They were expectant of a Messiah. They were living in, in an area where they were oppressed by, by Rome and Roman soldiers and Roman government. And they were believing for a Messiah to come and to liberate them, to set them free, to, so that they would experience freedom from bondage and tyranny. And along comes Jesus, who displayed what, according to them, characteristics that weren't kingly. He was from Bethlehem. What an average insignificant town. His parents, at best, they were average and insignificant. At worst, they were very controversial. I imagine the town had rallied together and accepted Mary, who became pregnant out of wedlock, even though she sweared she was a virgin. At, at, to some point, they had to accept, but at best, his parents were, or were, were average. At worst, controversial. So Jesus was liked, but not necessarily acknowledged as Messiah. But he was liked. And he was listened to so much that everywhere he went, crowds followed. And they were intrigued by him and inspired by him. But when we're talking about truth, they had the truth right in front of them and rejected the truth. They had Jesus doing mighty miracles amazing things. The truth right in front of them. But they rejected him as, as Messiah, as king. Because their king looked a certain way. Their king was going to come, you know, and, and bring 
just annihilation to their enemies. And that wasn't this average man. That wasn't this carpenter. The Jewish church began to feel so threatened by Jesus that they had him executed. But that didn't really work out too well for them. That really didn't work out too well for the devil. Because three days later, he conquered death. He rose from the grave. Then he spent the next 40 days hanging with them, eating with them, talking with them, making himself seen by hundreds. Let's read about this, this church and, and, and just the, the change that takes place when the followers of Jesus realized he's the Messiah. He conquered death. We saw him die and now we're eating with him. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Once when he was eating with them, Jesus commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John, baptized with water. But in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them that the Holy Spirit would come down. He would give them power to be bold witnesses, to carry on the work that Jesus began. So down to verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus ascended. As the feast of Pentecost took place, the Holy Spirit fell upon and consumed a room full of people who had been waiting patiently in obedience to Jesus' command, saying, wait, wait, for the Father will send the Holy Spirit. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter, who once denied Jesus three times, feared for his life, now filled with a new power of the Holy Spirit, speaks boldly, even irreverently, to a crowd, to masses, telling them the truth telling them about the Messiah, speaking of the truth. Acts 2, verse 22 through 24. People of Israel, so this is Peter speaking. People of Israel, listen! God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing wonderful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grip. Down to verse 36. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. What was the effect of Peter's words? Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is to you and to your children 
and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. I love that last part. This promise is to you, your children, and all those who are far away. There's a belief of, it's called cessation, cessationism. And what that belief is, that the gifts of the Spirit, the movings of the Holy Spirit ceased after the day of Pentecost. It's it's one of the most mind-boggling theological beliefs because I believe there is no scripture to back it up. I mean, I, I, there's not a verse. There's not a verse in the Bible to back up that it ceased. In fact, here's Peter saying, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This gift is for you and it's for children and it's for their children and it's for generations far off. You see, Peter, a man who demonstrated fear, insecurity, doubt, denial. And you see this man, the exact same man, standing up before thousands, speaking and saying, you killed him. You killed him. But the Father raised him from the dead. And the only way to know life is through him. Will you receive him? And 3,000 came to Christ that day, saying, what can we do? What must we do? The Holy Spirit moved upon that crowd, stirred their heart, pierced their heart. 3,000 people committed their life to Jesus. 3,000 people committed their life to Jesus and would become this radical group who just like that ate together, worshipped together, went to the temple together, met in homes together, celebrated the Lord's table together, sold goods and property so that all could be strengthened and the church of Jesus Christ could be established and advanced. These 3,000 rookies, newbies, Baby Christians formed the church. Why? Because they committed. Because they committed. Why did they commit? Because they knew the truth. Because they believed the truth. Didn't at first. Jesus was there. They didn't in the spite of incredible miracles. I even heard he might have raised someone from the dead. I don't, I don't know. It's just a rumor. They, they rejected the truth, but then when it was presented to them, the risen Savior, they grabbed a hold of it and said, what must we do? And they committed to it. Friends, we can't commit to Jesus Christ if we don't accept Him as the way, the truth, the life, the only way to the Father. We can't commit to Jesus unless we accept Him as the truth. Well, that's not very politically correct. I'm not trying to purposely be offensive, but I'm also not in no way, shape, or form trying to deny my faith in Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. They believed a lie, but as Peter spoke the truth, they recognized that they had been committed to the wrong thing. They were committed to religion, but not to a relationship with God. The crowd he was speaking to was a Jewish crowd. They were committed to religion, but not relationship. The first choice in commitment is to accept the truth. And that acceptance has to be displayed. Our relationship with God is displayed. Our acceptance of the truth is displayed in our relationship with God. Friends, if... 
if we believe that He is real, that He is risen, that He is alive, way too late. <laughs> if we believe it, radical actions should follow. A radical commitment should follow. If we believe it, we should be praying for people anywhere and everywhere. We should be declaring the love of God demonstrated through His obedient Son, Jesus Christ, everywhere. We should be saying, Jesus said this radical thing that it's better that I go away, and now we're left with the Holy Spirit, who, who Jesus said was better. And he's, He gives us power to, to, to be bold witnesses, but also to see miraculous things done. Because God is still in the business of the miraculous. Point number two, we must make God our number one priority. Once these people accepted the truth and came into a life-giving relationship with Jesus, transformed every area of their lives. Acts 2.42 says 45.7% of the believers devoted themselves to no. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals and to prayer. All, 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 all. You guys, when we realize that Jesus is alive and that He is God, devotion is the natural response. Making God our number one priority. Who devoted themselves? The pastors. The elders, right? All. All. We're a family, right? I've never made a move. When my family moved from Westminster to Erie, we didn't leave a couple of the kids behind. We all moved. We all packed up. We all carried boxes to the truck. We all did it together. All 3,000 brand spanking new believers committed themselves to learning Jesus through God's word, to hanging out together, to remembering Jesus through the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And there wasn't anyone left behind and there wasn't a slacker among them. Everyone was focused on one thing, their relationship with God. Everything else became secondary. Can we grab a hold of that? Their relationship with God, every single one of them became priority number one. Everything else, a distant second. Is God number one in our lives? Is God our lives? Is He everything? Is He number one? Does everything else revolve around Him? Is He the Son and everything else is just Pluto? There are lots of things that compete for our time. There's lots of things that compete for our monies. There's lots of things that compete for our kids. Trust me, there's a lot of thing in the, things in this world that compete for our kids' attention. Lots of things. There's a lot of garbage out there. Our children need to see in us that we are devoted to Jesus Christ. That our attention is devoted and committed to Jesus Christ. That God is number one in our lives. They need to see that. 
Everybody wants a commitment from us, though. Isn't that right? Everything wants a commitment from us. Question. For those of you who have kids, when your kids' sports teams ask you to commit, and they ask you to commit to practice five days a week, and games on the weekend, could be a Saturday, could be a Sunday, sometimes travel's involved, money's definitely involved, because those fees are in the hundreds, and the higher you get, they're in the thousands. When they ask you to commit, what do you do? We commit. We commit to it. I'll get them to practice. I'll drive all over like a madman. I'll get them to the games. I'll buy the uniforms. I'll buy the travel bag. I'll buy the, the warm-up suit. I'll, I'll pay the, the tournament fees. I commit. Are we as committed to the things of God as we are to the football team or the soccer team or the volleyball team or the hockey team or the dance team or the choir or the what? The fantasy teams. Are we as committed to God? I'd love to serve. I'd love to give. I'd love to show up to church. But we're just too busy with the commitments we have. Are you stinking kidding me? Our commitment is lived out in our choices. Our commitment is lived out in our choices. The same is true with our finances. I can't commit to giving a set amount of money every month. The tithe, that's crazy talk. I just can't do it. To commit to amount every month, that's crazy. Really? You know who says it's not crazy? AT&T says it's not crazy. Netflix says it's not crazy. Dish Network says it's not crazy because they ask us to commit to a set amount every month. And you know what? We pay it. As a matter of fact, AT&T or, or whatever cell phone carrier we have, they ask us to commit to two years. Two years of defunct technology. Two years of inferior technology because a month from now it's going to be obsolete and we got to stick with that defunct technology for two years. And you know what we do? We pay it. Oftentimes it's automatic withdrawal. Yeah, just take it out of my account. I don't want to see it. I commit to it. We commit to that, but we won't commit to Jesus in our finances and say, I commit, Lord God, to returning the tithe to you and then some. That's ridiculous, guys. Our commitment is lived out in our choices. I've heard it said by pastors that Coloradans don't know how to commit. I've heard them say that. Oh, Colorado, you know, you know, Coloradans, you know, we're, we're, we're a wild people. It's, you know, it's a frontier land. We don't know how to commit. Or that Colorado is low committal. That's bull. That's garbage. We commit to plenty of things. I commit I commit to watching every Bronco game. Oh, no, no. I commit to being at every Bronco game. No. I commit to being at every Bronco game and only wearing a barrel. No matter how hot or how cold, 
for my sound guys, that's definitely the cue. That's definitely the cue for the guys that aren't listening to the And that's the cue to show that graphic. You're killing me. I commit to wearing a barrel, no matter how hot, no matter how cold. I commit to getting every person in the crowd. I commit to every person in the crowd to getting them hyped up and, and cheering for the Broncos. To getting them inspired so that our team can win the game. I commit to that. Don't tell me Coloradans won't commit. We commit to lots of stuff. We commit to lots of stuff. Do we show the same commitment to Jesus Christ? The church did. Those 3,000 newbies, they did. Because their life depended on it. Because once they realized he was the king of kings and he was alive, their life was found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Where else would they go? How can you ever go back to anything once you gain the truth that he is a loving God, good and only good? What are we committed to? The question isn't, will we commit, but what will we commit to? Every single one of us will commit. What will we commit to? Commitment is what? Lived out in what? Our choices. The first church actually created a culture instead of conforming to it. Are we committed to creating a culture instead of conforming to it? They did it at the expense of their lives. They saw what happened to Jesus. It was a public spectacle. The Roman government in full effect and and corrupt some corrupt church Jewish leaders behind it. They saw it. Their lives were on the line and they committed. And they established a culture that we still benefit from today. It was normal to study God's word. It was normal to worship. It was normal to sell some of my stuff to care for someone next to me. It was normal to hang out with each other. It was normal to do life together. It was normal to remind each other how great Jesus is. How do we create that same kind of culture as a church family, as believers? What specific things can we put into place, put into practice to bring this about? brings us to number three. Change our daily choices. Every day, we are faced with decisions. Apple and oat grain bread or double stuffed Oreos and chili cheese fries. Every day, I can talk all I want about commitment. But what do my daily choices reflect? What do my daily choices declare? What do my daily choices speak to everyone around me? Commitment is lived out in my choices. The alarm goes off. Because I set that alarm. I set that alarm extra early to go work out. And the alarm goes off. And I immediately go, No! (laughs) I want to go back to sleep. I don't want to work out. And so what do I do? I don't. I hit snooze or I turn it off and I don't. The same is true 
in our relationship with God. I'm committed. I'm committed, Lord. I'm committed in my, my decision to grow in relationship with you. So, it's 10 till 8. Do I watch the last 10 minutes of some stupid show? Or do I say, no, I'm going to spend just 10 minutes in your word? Do we take those 10 minutes and say, I'm going to pray for my friends, my believers, my, my brothers, my sisters. I'm going, to, I'm going to pray for the people that God has put me in relationship with. I'm going to take those 10 minutes and I'm going to pray for Wilco and Kim and Jeremy and Juliana and Hawk and Deb. I'm going to, I'm going to pray for 10 minutes. Or, uh, let me see what Jeremy and Juliana and Wilco and Kim and Hawk and Deb are doing by going to Facebook. Let me see what they've been up to today. Where are my commitments displayed? Where do my decisions reflect my commitment to be in relationship with one another and to grow in relationship with God? Ten minutes. You guys, our commitment is lived out in our daily choices. Commitment takes discipline and perseverance. And that's why so few people actually follow through on their commitments. It's the difference between what we want life to be and what life actually is. I firmly established that round is not funny. How committed am I to not be in round? How committed am I to Jesus Christ, to making him known? You know what's amazing? It says they met in the upper room, right? The followers of Jesus met in the upper room and waited for the Holy Spirit to fall upon them. But then it says that 3,000 people who heard the word and, and, and heard them speaking in tongues and saw the Holy Spirit fall upon them in fire. Do you know any room in Jerusalem or anywhere else in this world that can hold 3,000 people? They got filled with the Holy Spirit in that room, but they had to leave that room. They had to step outside of that room to let the overflow of the Holy Spirit touch lost and hurting souls. They got filled in the room. But no one got saved until they left the room and started preaching and started letting the Holy Spirit fall on people. That's commitment. It's no longer a private thing. My religion is not private. My relationship with God is not private. I love Him. I believe in Him. And I have friends that are lost that need Him. Because He is good and only good. And religion has portrayed Him as bad and angry. But I get the chance through relationship and fellowship and eating together, I get a chance to demonstrate that He is good and only good. And that the religious conceptions were wrong. Or the church did it a, 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 a wrong way at some point. And I'm here to, to show them a different way. says a deep sense of awe. A deep sense of awe came over them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. How, how cool does that sound? 
all the while praising God and enjoying the fellowship of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Those who were being saved, friends, there's a pretty good chance everyone in this room, everyone in this room has trusted their life in Jesus Christ. Real good chance. That there's not a person in this room that is lost, whose soul is hurting without hope. Real good chance of that. If we want to see people saved daily and weekly and monthly, then we've got to go outside the doors. We've got to commit to going outside the walls and sharing Jesus. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for all who believe. We have the Holy Spirit. We have power. We walk in the power of God. How are we represented? How are our daily actions reflecting the commitment that we have to grow in relationship with Him, which is simply reflecting the commitment He made to us by sending His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us, to pay the price for our sin, to, to knock away shame and hurt. Our church is only strengthened if we've accepted the truth of a loving Father, the truth of a generous, committed Savior, Jesus Christ, and the uniting power of the Holy Spirit who establishes true community out of the midst of a diverse people. I love diversity. I love that we are diverse. I love that we are different. I love that, that some of us are even weird. I dig it. I'm good with it. I am okay with that. And I love the fact that the Holy Spirit unifies this diverse group. But you know what? There's supposed to be more diversity. There's supposed to be more people. There's supposed to be less empty seats. There's supposed to be people coming in going, hey, I want to introduce you to Bob. Bob gave his life to Jesus today. Where? I was getting my oil changed. I was getting my tires rotated. I was grabbing a, a chili cheese fries. I was in line and getting double stuff for you. I don't care. Results like the ones that the first church experienced only happen when we've made the one true God the number one priority in our lives. And an awe-inspiring church culture can only be established when we as a church commit to changing our daily choices. What do our current choices say about our commitments, guys? What do we want them to say about our commitments? If someone followed us around for a day, and at the end of the day, knocked on the door and said, hey, uh, you got 10 minutes. I just want to I want to read back to you your, your, your choices, your commitments, your decisions, and I just need to confirm that this is truly, it lines up with what you committed to. Do you have 10 minutes? What would those decisions that someone saw us do all throughout the day, what would they say about our commitment to Jesus Christ? To growing his church. Thank God that happened. And thank God God is so good. He's not constantly throwing our bad decisions in our face. That's not what he does. That's not his heart. That's not his nature. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't live our lives with the recognition that our decisions mean something. Our choices mean something. 
call to action? What, what daily decisions need to be changed in our life? What daily decisions need to be changed that, that reflect our commitment to God? What boldness needs to come forth from our life as a result of those decisions and that commitment? Would you pray on that? Would you think on that? Would you give thoughts to it? Would you maybe jot some notes down? And then would you purpose in your heart, would you commit to make some changes that reflect that God is number one? Because I believe that. I believe that. Looking across this room, I believe that. I believe that he is number one in our lives. But there's just too often that that commitment isn't reflected in our, our, not your, all of us, in our decisions.